Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking, back with the championship belt for most appearances and also beating me very badly in another bet, which we'll get to soon. Everybody be impervious. Uh, Welcome to the show, John. If it makes you feel any better, as long as you're not Davy Day Trader Portnoy out there, you you had a better week than he did. So, as long as he's making bets, we'll we'll all have someone to make us feel better. That's good to know. Uh, I'm glad Davy has set the the standard here. Let's start off by talking about our bet, which I think in the future I might want to keep opening the podcast with. So, for catching up the listeners who didn't listen to the last episode with us too, I am betting that. Berkshire Class B will outperform QQQ, which is the top 100 holdings in the NASDAQ. So right now, it's looking like a real beatdown. Measuring from the close of earnings last Friday, May 1st, or close of market May 1st, Berkshire Class B, BRK.B, is down 3.2%, and Triple Q is up 5.7%. The market is up 3.4%. So Sean is crushing me. And he's also being the market right now. Berkshire continues to underperform. Thoughts on your victory so far? Yeah, so just to to backtrack a little here on the provenance of this particular wager, this is coming after the uh, uh, Berkshire uh, talk given by our good friend Warren Margaritaville Buffett. Uh, And I was trash-talking the the current state of his portfolio and some of the dinosaur plays he has uh, weighing down that that entire uh, portfolio. Uh, and you defended him quite vigorously, clearly a fanboy. Um, so without any research, any thinking, and just, just reacting, you know, from a three-point stance with my betting, uh, throughout that I guarantee you that the NASDAQ would outperform BRKB. And to, to that end, now that I've actually looked up some information here, I feel even better uh, about that particular bet. Just looking at recent performance, and there's two particular metrics uh, that I looked at. Um, just looking at the rally from March lows, probably a good indicator of strength in this particular market and environment. Uh, QQQs rallied um, 36% from March lows, even up 5% on the year, while BRKB is only up 9% from March lows, still pretty beaten down and down 22.5% uh, in 2020. And then the other important time frame I was looking at is how are they doing in the, the good times on that gravy train? Um, of this this bull run. So basically looking at their performance from two, 2016 to uh, their February peaks before the market crash. And even over that time frame, uh, the NASDAQ was up uh, 110%, uh, while BRKB is only up 97%. So for me, this particular uh, wager in debate really hinges on uh, the age-old question of which is, is better for your investing, investing in momentum, or a stock that's already priced pretty high but still continuing to grow, or that price is based on recent performance versus value, something where the current price does not reflect uh, maybe the intrinsic value of the balance sheet 
and everything else. And so the the there's been much, much research done here, and it doesn't appear to be any definitive uh, conclusion since depending on the time scale, either value stocks or momentum stocks, depending on how you define them, could end up being the better long-term play. Uh, but with with the NASDAQ basically becoming, and tech stocks in general, uh, the new blue chips, I feel like this is assumed what Berkshire Hathaway maybe had been originally going for when when forming his portfolio. But if we're looking at anything beyond the one year of our bet, I feel like the the strategy behind tech is a lot more sustainable. And if we're looking at this like a basketball game, I feel like you know I'm setting up a triangle offense while while Berkshire Hathaway here is just fouling for free throws in desperation at the end of the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, I don't think my man uh, Warren Buffett's. It really I'm not going to say he doesn't have it in him, but it's it's clear that he is not comfortable with a lot of the really emerging markets, and that's basically what his comment was about getting out of airlines. He no longer understands the market. So I feel like that's a lot of loss of opportunity and value, and especially over the next year as the complete uh, paradigm around um, business and productivity changes and favors a lot of these blue-chip stocks versus old-fashioned industry um, In any ways, I look forward to I don't think we have... We have a dollar amount on this, right? $100? Hundred bucks. Then we, we we should add a little something else. We'll we'll open it up to the listeners. If you have any other suggestions on the line here, uh, whether it be an embarrassing tattoo or having to stand on the side of the road, social distance, of course, holding a sign saying I'm a I'm a stupid uh, uh, Wall Street bets reader that that lost a, a dumb bet or something like that. But let us know in the comments or or uh, at at Ben here or me at the impervious. At BNB 21. So a lot of rebuttals to that. That was a whole lot to take in. So a few things. The, the first is that never bet against the Oracle. Berkshire has been down 50% plus three times, a whopping three times in its history. We didn't even get there nowadays. Berkshire's actually not down nearly that much. But each time it's come back, Buffett has made, I think, over half of his wealth since the age of 60. He's still got it. He's, How old is he now? <laughs> I think he just hit 90, but he is an absolute legend. I mean, as someone who listened to the entire annual conference call, I still continue to really value his commentary. Let's actually get into what Berkshire is and what its holdings are. So at, its, at the simplest level, BRKB is a company that takes proceeds from insurance premiums and invests them in stocks. The insurance business has been incredible for Buffett. It's been very steady. Obviously, everybody knows that insurance uh, is the game where the house always wins. You know, the actuaries rig it such that they are selling premiums that are more uh, than what the actual risk is if you were to sell it on an expected value basis. So insurance is an amazing business to be in. The American stock market has absolutely crushed the last couple decades. In terms of what Buffett actually owns, in terms of public uh, equities, I'm going to read them off. You mentioned Apple. Apple's almost 40% of the public portfolio. We got Bank of America, Coca-Cola, American Express, Kraft Heinz, Wells Fargo, which I could definitely plug for. I think this is a great stock that is trading at 60% of book, pays an 8% dividend. I have very high hopes for it in the future. I personally own it. Uh, Moody's, JP Morgan, US Bank Court, and Bank of New York. I love the financial exposure. I think banks, I don't think the default rates are going to be as high as people make them out to be. Even if they are, there are banks trading at massive discounts to books. And we forget that a lot of these banks have return on equity, you know, sometimes in the teens. So I really like financials. I own a ton of them. 
I think the Apple exposure is fantastic. And I think there are private companies Buffett owns too. And, you know, we forget that he bought BNSF at a deeply discounted price a couple of years ago. He's made some incredible acquisitions in the private market. We actually don't know what the value of those businesses are. They're going to continue to be cash cows. I mean, that's what Buffett does. He buys companies with incredible, incredible free cash flow. To respond to your comment on growth versus value, yes, you're right. Growth has kicked value's ass over the last five years. No one's debating that. But eventually things turn. Eventually things become so cheap that there is a paradigm shift. And value has outperformed growth in previous decades in the market. Um, all trends eventually end. I'm going to link this in the show notes, but Cliff Asnes, uh, you know, historically amazing hedge fund manager, wrote a great article on how value is historically cheap. Um, it certainly could get cheaper. But I tend to think if you're a fundamentals investor, value looks really good right now. So overall, I feel good about this bet for the next year. As you and I both know, as daily fantasy sports players, you don't win money in the first quarter. Um, no games are won um, until you know the proverbial fat lady has sung. So I'm going to wait this one out. And I think you got off to a hot start. But you, know, you, you said it yourself, tortoise in the hair. So watch out for the tortoise because I'm coming. And what, what, a couple of closing comments here. Since this is such a slam dunk, I'll play devil's advocate on myself, make it a little more interesting here. I think some of the risks uh, behind uh, the curtain entry point we have for this bet is that uh, the NASDAQ's been on such a run. Basically, those uh, stocks have inflated the S&P 500 and made up a significant amount of that rebound since our March lows. And Given the uncertain future and potential volatility, I think that gives them a lot more room to drop. Or if there is another mass sell-off, then it will definitely hit those uh, particular stocks harder. And also, the significantly higher weighting of Apple in Berkshire Hathaway, you know, if Apple continues its performance, uh, could you know, significantly outperform uh, the NASDAQ there. So there's, there's certainly um, some, some benefit to be had, and he's, he's riding some of that wind. Um, but I still see there being way too much risk in a lot of the other positions he has. And if uh, the airlines are any indication there, then you know that could potentially be a write-off. I don't know how that's going to help him over the next year, but we'll see. Well, I look forward to you holding that sign and to whatever our, our listeners ask you to eventually do. Uh, I just wait for it. You know, I, I congratulate you on your incredible start. But again, uh, the stock market is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, let's get into the week ahead. Um, interesting week coming up. This is Options Expiration Week. Um, for our listeners who aren't familiar with that, why don't you explain what it is and why it's important? So basically, OPEX, as uh, those in the know like to say, um, is just basically when most monthly uh, options expire. So big indexes like uh, SPY and ETF, similar to that, will have uh, even daily options expiring throughout the week and every Friday. But in general, smaller cap stocks will all have options expiring on that particular Friday. So option expiry is is interesting because this is a period of high gamma exposure, uh, basically meaning that the more a price moves, uh, the more dollars and cents are won or lost. So there's more of an incentive to stick in whichever particular channel we're in. So Based on Friday ending at 293 and blowing way past it after hours, we're clearly still in that bull channel. Uh, and we'll probably have people calling top for the next week or so, every opportunity they get. But um, with that in mind, I, I see the opportunity to uh, charge towards 300, which again is ridiculous to think based on where we were 
uh, a month ago and definitely two months ago. Um, but it's it's well within sights and could potentially blow past that based on the the lack of selling volume anytime a rally's been been going. Um, so one other thing to point out too about the last week that was particularly interesting is that we saw a uh, significant amount of pump happening uh, in the futures overnight. So uh, we gapped up several nights and actually gapped down one day um, with pretty minimal volume, trade volume during the day, especially low volume in the morning and uh, sort of a, a much lower market um, at close order volume. So throughout the day, you can basically count on the direction that's been established at open to continue throughout. Um, but a lot of that movement happening over and overnight means the best gains or best opportunities require you holding holding a position overnight. So basically what, what OPEX is going to mean is that we're just going to continue this direction throughout the week. Um, and with OPEX weeks, one thing that you can uh, expect is sort of alternating good day, bad day, which will keep uh, the overall uh, number in that same channel throughout the week. So ending up pretty high on, on Friday, busting up through 93, um, it seems like we're prone for some, some sell-off coming Monday. Um, but that might be a good opportunity to take a position on some weekly calls with the S&P 500 um, or some of the other blue chip stocks that right now are largely tracking uh, the S&P 500. Um, but there will also be a lot of opportunities, especially if we get to 300, to start taking some short positions. Um, once OPEX, particularly this week, expires, a lot of the shorts um, taking positions on the run-up, um, all the spy put guys out there uh, will be squeezed out and we'll likely see a corrective wave begin uh, around that time. And when we get into some of the uh, interesting options activities, there's a couple of different plays that sort of uh, give credence to that, that timeline. But um, it's, it's going to be a good opportunity if there is that sell-off Monday to, to get into some of these call positions. And we'll get into some of the plays for the next week. Yeah, I'm excited to talk that. But before we get to next week, I wanted to follow up on last week, right? So the VIX traded down a ton. It, it kind of feels like volatility got sucked out of the market. I wouldn't. I totally expect just because of OPEX and potentially any macro news that could drop to see higher vol the week ahead. The the last week was kind of light on macro news. So we did see the unemployment number come in. I think that was whatever 14, 15%. But overall, I, I've yet to really see any big macro news. Is there anything that could change the thesis for you this week? Or are we just going to continue to see stories about states reopening and it's going to be overall fairly light on the macro and yeah, so the, the macro news and information has been, um, or at least the market's been pretty indifferent to that, especially the COVID numbers and unemployment numbers. In fact, we've seen massive green days on pretty um, frightening unemployment numbers in weeks past. So uh, there, I don't think there is any, any piece of news along those lines that could trigger uh, any directional change. But um, some of the macro trends, uh, we'll be having Jerome Powell speaking on Wednesday, um, discussing specifically the fact that uh, he does not expect interest rates to go negative, even though we've seen several bets on that. Uh, and it seems like anytime someone from the Treasury talks, that's more likely to have an impact on uh, the, the current um, price action of that day rather than anyone from the uh, task force getting up and, and showing you another graph or something like that. Uh, but in terms of big macro events that we really don't have any timeline around that could have a big effect, the trade war with China is still sort of looming. I don't think we've had any real update or any type of um, sense whether 
there will be any financial repercussions given some of the smack talk from from the U.S. and then also being reported on by China. Um, but it seems like some of that has cooled in terms of economic repercussions. So uh, other than whatever Jerome Powell gets into on Wednesday, I think the sentiment is around reopening. And so there's definitely a wait and see attitude. A lot of people see optimism in businesses being able to reopen uh, in commerce resuming, therefore, um, you know, potential additional cash flow in the future for you fundamentals guys. I was surprised to see you not mention a developing macro story with our favorite CEO, Elon Musk, uh, who is found himself in another legal battle with a county in the state of California. It's so it seems like Tesla is moving on with a mind of its own and something we talked about, especially with the tweet last week and a lot of talk about SEC repercussions. The stock rebounded over 20 percent after that tweet. So if, if this is and I realize, you know, there's fine print here that defines what he can or can't do. But to have the stock do sort of the exact opposite to call that manipulation I, it seems more like he's he's trolling all of us than than anything else but threatening to leave california i haven't looked at any of the specifics but you know this could be posturing for negotiations if the sweetheart deal he's already got with california is running out so the timing of it certainly is suspect but i don't think that there is uh something like that specifically from tesla um, that's going to change things. But it seems clear that New York and California are pretty steadfast on slowing down the reopening. But we've seen uh, a lot of enthusiasm from other places, Nevada, Texas, Florida. Uh, so I think there, there's definitely going to be a line in the sand drawn between those pushing for a reopen and those not. But um, business will find a way to, to get done if you know, they are in such a precarious position like Tesla uh, in their current debt situation and lack of any production going on. Yeah, the, the voting with your feet, although I think if you called his bluff, it'd be difficult to move that enormous operation right out of that county. I, I do think he's maybe setting a precedent here. I could see other businesses kind of following suit and saying, hey, if we are not able to operate as a essential business, essential in air quotes, because who knows what's essential and non-essential at this point, um, then we'll do X, Y, Z. That could get interesting here. I mean, he, he's always been kind of unorthodox and unconventional in, in some of his business moves. So I thought that was kind of an exciting developing story. I'll, I will add some of the order flow. There was some some very bullish orders, Tesla 1000C, some some leaps, Tesla 1500C. So someone out there thinks that the Tesla is going to solve world hunger as well as uh, our energy problems and hopefully deliver the Cybertruck on time. Maybe we should add Tesla to the, the contest. Could have uh, Elon as a competitor against uh, QQQ and uh, BRKB. Could be so interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll have an update on that for, for next week's pod. All right, let's move on to the week ahead. So I want to start off with one of your recommendations that is a holding of mine. I have some call options here. Datadog, which is reporting on Monday, I lump it in the camp of really fast growth. Um, subscription businesses that offer a tech service that's used by medium, large, and small companies. I actually use Datadog. At my previous company, I've had mixed experiences with it, but I do think it could fare well during COVID-19. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I apologize for FOMOing you into that trade in probably the worst possible time on Friday where it was at an intraday high before dumping. 
uh, like 5% or, or so before returning before after hours. But quick side note, folks, so that any of these plays, first of all, not financial advice. So you got to make your own decisions. This is not uh, an actual financial advisor speaking, but it's key to make sure your entrance and exit are at the right time for a trade because you can be right and still lose money because you bought high and sold low. So with this particular play, I think Ben is still pretty well positioned. So Datadog will be having earnings Monday uh, after market close. And Ben knows much more about what they do. But what I know about this particular stock is that it's sort of uh, taking on what I call sort of a meme status uh, amongst the trading community. And a thesis I have about sort of this bleed up over the last few weeks uh, is that retail is having a much bigger impact on some of the runs in particular stocks, and that's the Robinhood crowd, uh, all of the different folks that are on brokerages. Brokerages are having exploding numbers of new new customers. So when a particular stock that is similar or in a similar sector is one that previously reported earnings in and blew out uh, expectations and went on a run, such as Twilio did, there's going to be a, a sort of follow-on effect um, or some front running in similar plays in that market sector. So to me, uh, Datadog stands out as one of those. And we saw some run-ups leading into earnings on some plays. Uh, a more unfortunate one for us, uh, Cloudflare last week, uh, unfortunately dropped after earnings. But following that Twilio earnings report, uh, went on a, a significant run, um, being up about 10% on Wednesday before erasing all those gains after hours. But I think that same effect and also this FOMO going on based on the run Thursday and Friday means that there's going to be a lot of retail piling in on Monday. So the this is back to that uh, momentum versus value debate because Datadog is up over 15% in the last week um, at its all-time high. But I see the amount of momentum um, both on Thursday and Friday carrying through up to earnings. But the key with this one is we're getting out of there right before market close, depending on the performance that day or that exit might be shown earlier. Because one thing we've learned from earnings reports, which there are several uh, interesting earnings plays coming up here that we'll get into, uh, is that with, with fundamentals being um, so far from pricing right now, Basically, no matter how good your earnings are, even with an earnings beat, if you've had a significant running up, run up going into earnings, uh, there is a high likelihood either of a sell-off or just something disappointing in those numbers. Whereas if you've been beaten down and you show any glimmer of hope in those earnings, then there's a good chance you bounce after hours. But either way, playing earnings with options, the thing to know, listeners, is volatility crush. So what that means is... First of all, options are priced on volatility. That means the, the contract premium or what that particular option contract is worth is based on the implied volatility of the underlying stock. And that means the range that it's expected to either go up or down over the period of the contract. So with earnings leading up to earnings, there is a high amount of implied volatility because stocks are known to go either up or down a significant percentage after earnings are released. But after earnings are released, that implied volatility disappears. There's no longer that earnings report there to drive direction in one way or another. So even if you are on the right side of that trade, uh, the, you need to be so much more right to overcome the lost value of that implied volatility in the decrease in the cost of your particular contract. So even if we're right on this trade, Datadog's been on such a run that they would have to 
have an even bigger run following earnings on Tuesday to justify right now the premiums on those contracts. So in this particular play and some of the other earnings plays, we're looking to just pile in before that retail uh, wave hits and get out before earnings because there's always an opportunity the next day to capitalize on either a short squeeze um, or a sell-off resulting from a good uh, earnings report performance without having to pay the additional premium, which represents risk. If you get that trade wrong, it's just more money you can lose the next day and capitalize on that value. So really the best way to play earnings is not holding an option through the earnings period, but rather getting in and getting out right before earnings, taking advantage of that sentiment. And if you really want to hold through earnings, stock is always going to be the best way to play since there is no implied volatility priced into that. Um, less fun. And obviously, we're talking about options. But, you know, you're an intelligent investor. So this is all, all important information to know. I learned this the hard way this week. As a rule in the past, I've told myself never to trade earnings. And I violated it. So Cloudflare is a company I'm very fond of. They IPO'd last year. I have a lot of respect for the product. I think they're very well positioned. They do things in edge caching, cybersecurity, a lot of SaaS services that they've had a ton of success with. They've actually taken some business away from AWS. I just think it's a really high quality, well-run company. After watching the prints that Twilio and some other companies had that aren't necessarily in a similar space, but represent the same high quality tech product track, I really was very bullish on earnings. I bought calls when the stock, I think, was around the 29 area. And it had run up a ton. This is, this is where I missed, right? Uh, it had run up on all these companies smashing earnings that were similar and similarly positioned. So earnings come out. I listened to the whole, whole call. I actually ended up buying some stock for the long term and may, may buy mo more because I just think it's such a great company. I thought the print was excellent. They beat on non-GAAP EPS. They beat on revenue. Uh, they've acquired a ton of customers. They've seen more traffic in the last 12 weeks than they have in the last 12 months. There's no doubt in my mind that this is either an acquisition target at $9 billion or potentially uh, could grow into you know, a $50, $100 billion market cap company. I just love the space they play in. And I think they do a great job. But anyways, you know, that volatility crush happened, right? The stock uh, went back down to 26 and traded around there on Friday. So we'll see what happens, but I think it's essentially dead money at this point. It's just a reminder that you can never predict earnings. And to an extent, the market uh, prices in expected earnings with companies report before the company you have options in reports. So it's, it was a learning lesson. And it's just a reminder, probably to not hold options through earnings. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about this on another podcast. But I guess the, the silver lining there with Cloudflare is that's a, a good stock in an industry that I see being a significant uh, growth vector in sort of the next year or so time frame. Uh, even though a lot of these data security network monitoring type uh, companies, to name a few, uh, like Twilio, Okta, um, Team, they represent, I feel like, the, the most obvious uh, beneficiaries, like Microsoft, of this work from home environment. So with these ones, I feel a lot comfortable losing while holding shares, knowing that this is a, a space that uh, I'm, I'm continuing to be in. So I'm, I'm long and strong with, uh, with the Cloudflare as well. Nice. I noticed you called out Microsoft because that's QQQ's top holding. So respect. Uh, Datadog, going back to that, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the company. Not that that's relevant for the trade we're entering into, but uh, they occupy a similar space to Splunk and New Relic, which I've also used. 
Um, it's essentially centralized logging. So if you're a company that has a bunch of servers, be it on Azure or AWS, they all record logs separately. And traditionally, the way of, of getting those logs has been to SSH into the server, which is a fancy way of saying you just log on to the box, get the logs yourself, and read them. Datadog centralizes all of that. It's a web browser-based tool. Um, you can build dashboards and things like that. I, I certainly could have built it myself, but I don't think it's all that spectacular. And I think there are companies that replicate this functionality and, and do so at a cheaper price point. But that said, you know, it's it's a hot stock and it what they do falls into the category of of high growth subscription, fairly resilient to COVID-19. And you know, the market ignores fundamentals at this point. It just loves companies that continue to grow. And uh, another company to point out here in that in that particular space that has earnings coming up would be Wix, um, a, a make your own website platform. Um, a lot of the, the business proposition there being on automatic backend updates and security. Um, but Wix is sitting at an all time high up 30 percent in the last week. Um, but I honestly think it should be considered undervalued relative to some of its peers and their performance over um, the last month or so. Again, uh, Team, Twilio, Okta, uh, among others. But uh, with those earnings coming up um, pre-market on the 14th, um, Wix has already confirmed that they expect to meet uh, Q1 results. And with strong revenue growth and a positive cash flow uh, or free cash flow margin here as a growth company, I think all of the pieces are there for um, a positive outlook going into earnings. So with this one, rather than Datadog, you got a little bit more buffer uh, to get in. Uh, looks like the the options are a little less liquid um, than Datadog at this point in time. That might change um, going into earnings, but this is a good one. You got a little time to position, if only with some stock um, in the early part of the week, if you can spot an, an entrance there. But even though it's already over all-time high, you got to ride that momentum um, if you're, you're looking at a short trade, but also not a bad one to own long-term. Yeah, let's briefly talk liquidity and bid-ask pricing on some of these options. So this is a subject you and I have talked about, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because it's been a while since we, we talked about it. You'll often look at a lower market cap stock like Wix or, or something that trades in the low single-digit billion dollar market cap range, and the bid ask for options will be like 10 cents you know, on a 60 cents option. So then you're talking about you know, 16 17%, which is wild. To be fair, like at least on Fidelity, which is the platform I'm using, Sometimes you'll say market price and it will do right in between the bid and the ask. So perhaps the market's slightly more liquid than you think. But when I see spreads that wide, I worry that there's no market for this thing and it's just going to be tough to trade. Well, that, I mean, that can change quickly uh, just because there is not a, a high amount of open interest or volume at the moment. Uh, as soon as something takes on that meme status and you have uh, investors and options traders flooding in, that market creates itself. Um, so all it takes is some pretty widely viewed DD on Twitter or on some uh, financial blog for Motley Fool uh, for people to start piling in. All of a sudden, there is a market on some of these really uh, small cap stocks just have tremendous value due to that meme status looking at you, JNUG. And so you got to pick your spots. You don't want to be the first one in there with a wide bid ask. That basically means you're going to have to keep lowering the price to unload a particular position, especially if you're in a losing end. So that makes it difficult to find your exit and time it. Um, but I don't know that there's necessarily a requirement of something being considered very liquid or being something that's um, 
you know, like Bank of America with a significant amount of um, trading volume every day. But with such high float, you're not going to get much volatility there. So the benefit is with that wide bid ask, once a market does develop, the high volatility of the stock allows you to capitalize on changes in the short term, especially if you're trading options. Um, so basically the way I trade is I'm looking for or at certain plays and then also looking for the options flow to indicate that um, there is some some consensus or agreement there and usually I'll be on one side, not a lot of volume of both calls and puts, which usually represents some uh, indecision about where it's going. But if there is a, a significant option flow, even as much as just 500 contracts, that's enough to establish um, a, a reasonable bid ask to know that I have confidence and oftentimes you need to get in early to maximize your profit. So um, for, for the early traders, if, if you want to not have to worry about what price you're going to have to sell at when you go to sell, that's why something like SPY, the S&P 500 ETF is so great. Um, it's the, probably the most liquid um, uh, play that you can have. Uh, so very easy to get in and out, a lot of different strikes and dates. Um, but the the growth of low float stocks in the short term, also you know that's risk of uh, major sell off, is kind of what's appealing to capitalize on on trade momentum um, and get some good profits in the short term. So it's a give and a take, but the the opportunities will be shown to you by the market as soon as people start entering in. And again, that magic number for me is generally a 500 contract volume before I'll consider it liquid enough to to make a play. Yeah, I like the way you framed it there. It's a trade-off, right? Like if you only traded liquid options, you'd be very much limited to SPY or Bank of America or something like that. So yeah, follow the money, see where the trade takes you. So on that note, I want to move to some unusual options activities that probably fall more into the macro space. So I know you sent me some notes on IWM and SLV. So talk to that. Yeah, and so I throw these under unusual options activity because they represent a large volume of contracts, um, either bought or sold. I guess there is a buyer and seller for every, every trade there. Um, but sometimes a lot of these plays will be someone selling uh, puts, which is a, a bearish or excuse me, bullish uh, indication. But what's, what's interesting about these two plays, uh, and these came in on Friday, is that one, I saw two large uh, 5,000 contract sweeps of IWM puts at the uh, 124 and $126 strike for June 19th. Each of those orders totaled about two and a half million, um, which is you know about 10 times what an average fairly large order is. So that definitely represents a significant bet on a retraction coming in the I IWM, uh, most likely after OPEX to go back to that previous discussion. Uh, and this one particular move, considering how much greater uh, both the dollar amount and the number of contracts were here than uh, any option flow for IWM calls, uh, seems to indicate a pretty strong thesis from a technical analysis uh, standpoint that we will be looking at some retracement in the following week. So it might be a little bit early to get into some of these positions and um, I'm sure someone's got deep enough pockets to sort of weather uh, this, this likely melt up that we'll have in the following week. But this to me is that indication that we should at least be looking for some natural market correction in the following week. You know, we keep throwing around the term leg down uh, or, or black swan event. And it's, it's very difficult to bet on that. The timing is, is almost impossible. However, I think there is that, that reasonable market cycle uh, where there is some selling off after a pretty historic run 
uh, over the last couple months. So that one stands out to me. And the other order that stood out were several large sweeps of silver calls, um, about 10,000 contracts each at the $16 uh, strike uh, for June 19th and $20 strike for October 16th. Now these aren't nearly as close to the dollar amount as that IWM play, um, but it was particularly unusual to see that high of a volume on silver, uh, which is not nearly traded as much as different gold plays or gold miners. Um, so that to me uh, represents a, a large bet on silver being the best inflationary hedge relative to something like gold or crypto. Uh, and while we've seen um, some, some great weeks from gold, we both won a few trades there, uh, this anticipation of an inflationary spiral is a bit too early because we're sitting in a dollar shortage, uh, which means a lot of gold is being liquidated to free up dollars. And that particular um, current trend hasn't, hasn't really given way to that, that inflationary spiral. So why, why silver over other commodities? Uh, I'll certainly be doing a little more research there, but this is uh, hot off the presses there. So while these contracts are cheap, I'm going to dive in for a few 20 or 30 cent plays there uh, while I try and figure out whether or not that was a dumb move. The silver one is really interesting to me, especially because it's being sold as an inflationary hedge. This was a topic I talked about a lot of my recent podcasts with Nick Widmer, where we discussed crypto at length. So please listen to that, listeners, if you're interested in crypto and inflationary hedges. So th this is very topical because over the weekend, Paul Tudor Jones, legendary Wall Street investor, um, has done extremely well for himself and has caught a lot of trends early, basically suggested that Bitcoin could be the next major asset class as an inflationary hedge. It, it kind of already is in some respects, but if you look at it from a market capitalization perspective, Bitcoin in terms of total market cap is much smaller than fiat currency or uh, you know, whether it's cash or something else, um, stocks, bonds, whatever. So I found that thesis not necessarily that compelling. I, don't, I think crypto has a lot of issues um, and it, crypto being Bitcoin, I think is also unfair, right? It's not, Bitcoin's not a proxy for the entire crypto asset class. There are thousands of cryptocurrencies at this point. There are companies that use blockchain. There are uh, companies that support blockchain through GPUs um, or services that allow for mining or whatever. So <laughs> then we get to silver, right? Like what is silver relative to gold? Silver has industrial uses. It trades on things other than inflationary hedge use cases. So I don't know. I think I'm kind of tired of this discussion with respect to like, is this thing an inflationary hedge or not? I guess the easiest way to look at it is correlation to SPY or one of the major indices. I've had gold in my portfolio for a couple of years right now, and it's done quite well. I'm glad <laughs> with that just being my pick uh, as an inflation hedge. So that's interesting. People are picking up silver. Maybe there's something besides, I mean, I, I can't read into it that much, but it's, it's possible maybe there is some shortage supply uh, shock or something like that. I don't know. So yeah, that that that'll be yeah yet to be revealed. And you know, before we we wrap things up here, I did just want to share one one last take. Um, 
with with respect to, to some stocks that we've talked about before, since uh, things change do pretty fast, I am excited to be able to have a returning guest in some of our picks here, and that would be Smile Direct Club, um, which we're not sure what they make. They make Invisalign, uh, basically. Um, but this is, to our, our previous conversation, um, just another play that represents a great earnings uh, report potential since they report on uh, the 13th after hours. But Small Design Club has been up um, in the past week, a solid, well, up over $8. And I've been in and out of calls for a Small Design Club, so I had to give them a few benefit uh, stock buys. Also because it, 10 shares cost maybe a tenth of, of what their particular product is. I actually looked that up. So, you know, i got to support my homie, but I'm not, I'm not getting some Invisalign here. Um, but what's so interesting is, first of all, this is a, a stock with a lot of momentum, up 23%, but with a significant amount of short interest, over 53%, close to 54%, um, this represents potential for a, a major short squeeze with an ER beat or a significant run-up um, going into earnings. So basically what that means is with such a significant percentage of their float, that means uh, stocks that are just out and available, um, there is a, a if they beat on earnings or have a significant gain, then people in those short positions will be margin called or their brokers will begin buying them stocks uh, so that they can fulfill that short, which leads to basically runaway um, growth of a, a stock after a, a large gain. So case in point, we saw this with Beyond Meats last week, basically saved my portfolio on that one play, um, basically lucking into that that earnings play. Um, but we saw Beyond take off after a beat. You know, there was some slight selling off, but then just bled from about uh, $114, $115 to over 125 and is still going. So this can, and this is something we've seen with Tesla in their run-up as well, is that once something starts to have a trajectory for the moon, it just blasts into hyperspeed um, with that cascading uh, short position being blown up. So if you're not confident sitting in a particular play through earnings, there's a good opportunity. Watch for that entrance the day after a beat uh, because there's still significant opportunity for gain that day based on that short squeeze. Uh, and you can get in without the premium and uh, potential risk of um, a, a, a sell-off after earnings there. So that's one I'll be watching on the 14th. I already have several positions there, and it could pull way past uh, $9, potentially fill the February gap to 11 um, either before or after earnings. So um, it's a good friend of the podcast, so we'll be watching that one, and we'll update you next week. Yeah, this is one... When you mentioned it a couple podcasts ago, I was shocked, right? They, they IPO'd last year. It's a su relative to other companies, it's pretty small at a $3 billion market cap now, based out of Nashville. I, I don't really know a whole lot about Smile Direct Club, um, which is why I'm actually kind of interested to listen in on the 14th and hear what they say on the call. I can't imagine that that industry is doing that well during coronavirus. And I think it's unfair to place it in the same. Uh, same bubble that you would with, you know, like uh, some of the other guys we've talked about, right? Like Datadog um, or Cloudflare or something like that, where it's an essential tech service that you'll keep paying subscription fees on. So I don't know what's driving the bullishness here. I, I'm, I'm frankly perplexed. Well, on, on the other hand, I don't see a lot about the particular COVID and quarantine situation that would affect their business, mail order and Invisalign. Um, uh, unless their supply chain is being affected by everything that's going on, businesses that operate 
on a uh, delivery or service-based model rather than brick-and-mortar or retail uh, have tended to perform pretty well or at least be a little more insulated um, from the COVID performance or, or the, the COVID um, uh, down, downtrend we had there. But um, slightly different business, slightly dif different industry. One, one company I'll be looking at is Casper uh, with their earnings Tuesday before open. I imagine it's even though mattresses versus Invisalign, um, this is sort of a discretionary uh, delivery type product. So uh, while, while not medical, I think we'll get an idea whether that consumer habit of subscribing to something like this, even a food delivery service like Blue Apron, uh, is increased in this environment or the decrease in discretionary fund or discretionary uh, spending is going to have an adverse effect in some of those plays. But I think if we see uh, a run up in Casper and especially Casper uh, post an earnings beat, then that definitely puts a lot of wind in the sails of, of Smile Direct Club. But uh, yeah, I don't know anything else about their business. But the thing is, with a lot of these these particular businesses, recent IPOs and, and growth type companies, um, there there's a, a lot of different prisms you can view their their earnings from. So as long as it looks like there is growth, even if um, there is still uh, some effect to their business or or some cash burn, um, that still represents at least the narrative or story to give uh, investor confidence moving forward. So I don't know that there's a, a high ceiling or a high market cap for a business like that, but looking short term in the current investing environment we're in, I feel like they're primed more for, for growth than some of the more uh, traditional businesses, some of the financials, which actually are a good place this week, uh, or industry. Um, but this is one place I'm looking for near term um, growth or to outpace the market. Yeah, Casper is an interesting one in that it IPO'd, I think it looks like February 7th from the chart I'm looking at, mostly online business. I, in fact, I think completely online. Like they're the first kind of like e commerce mattress company. I think, if I recall correctly, pretty good reviews. They're, they're regarded by people who, who have the mattress. But again, it's how are you going to get mattress delivered in this environment, right? It's just difficult to fathom how these could be growth companies. And, and Ben, say it with me. Price action is the only thing that matters. Yep. I, I keep forgetting, man. You're going to have to remind me every podcast. But this is why we have you on. I'm the fundamentals guy. You're the technicals guy. So I, I need to learn your, your magic tricks. Just blindly clicking around on, on my brokerage and, and having better luck than, than people trying their darndest, like our, our buddy Davey Day Trader, friend of the podcast. Yeah, it seems to be working out better for you than, than Portnoy. So. As long as that's true, we'll keep having you on. And even if your performance falls below Portnoy, just because of your, your entertaining commentary, we'd love to keep having you on. I'll tap dance anytime you ask me to. All right, buddy. Let's wrap it up here. Um, as always, awesome having you on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing our QQQ versus Berkshire debate continue. Thank you, Ben. You can follow me at, at the impervious on Twitter uh, for some... Uh, Tasteful dad jokes and some hot takes usually in the morning at the open so you can get in and get your money. Awesome. I, I love your feed. I love the tasteful dad jokes and more importantly, the, the stock tips. So awesome. Good having you on and I'll talk to you later. Happy trading, Ben. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.